was thinking about Thanksgiving weekend because it was American Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Theirs is so much better with the layout. I can't believe I hadn't thought about this before, but it was like, they get Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh, yeah. We just do Monday off. I know. They stre- They really stretch it into like a full... It's almost a week. It's amazing. But you get Wednesday as like a young person party night oh, and yeah. Thursday. They're like going home and seeing your yeah, buddies. Yeah, that's what oh, I yeah. mean. You get that. Because you wouldn't get that for Canadian Thanksgiving. You're just rushing home on a Friday. Yeah. Maybe you're smart enough to take the Friday off, but we don't get that one, right? No. Yeah. I don't know. This is classic dumb guy thoughts <laughs> where I was walking to like come in this morning. And I went, wait a second. That's the biggest thing about their Thanksgiving oh, yeah. is, and you got to figure that people are taking like a half day on the Wednesday. Yeah, because so I, really, I mean, well, <laughs> because the reason this came up was I didn't want producers texting Americans on the Monday because right. I went, oh, today's their holiday, leave people alone. I went, no, text them, call them, <laughs> call, yell call. in their ear, Bopple. <laughs> tell, tell them, tell the people, get get back to work, America. <laughs> uh, other thing, quick business note before sports, because there was plenty of sports. Christopher Stieg today, Brady Quinn, as always, on a Monday. We gotta, we gotta go back on this daylight savings time thing. We gotta, we got, we gotta admit defeat here. We something, something's got to change. I don't know. Okay, well, I'm from Whitehorse, Yukon, as some of you know, and many of you don't, because who cares? <laughs> but when I would come here, one of the most aggravating questions you get two questions, right? You get, hey, how cold is it there? And you go, it's cold. Yeah. Do you, I don't sense. have a way of showing you this. <laughs> it's pretty cold. You know how when you're cold in the wintertime? It like feels like that. Yeah. Sometimes even colder. So that question was always a, a banger. But the other is, isn't it dark there all the time? And I would go, yeah, come to think about it. Sometimes the most aggravating thing is you would go to school and the sun would be coming out. And then when you'd be getting out of school, the sun would be going down. And I feel like, what's the point of me even leaving yeah. the Yukon if this is the way that yeah. it's going to be? Was it always this dark at this time when we would do daylight? Like, we're losing the I sun probably. at 4 o'clock. Yeah, it's terrible. It's outrageous. Like, I'll, peek behind the curtain. I, I work nights normally. Oh, you're and just man, a full vampire. Oh, it's horrible. Dude, it's your horrible. skin is already so... Uh, we are both just I'm the heading, yeah. whitest skin guys. <laughs> right now, one ray of sunbeam uh, might terrible. take us down. Yeah, we terrible. might be down. Yeah. That might be it for us. Yeah. We're basically vampires <laughs> at this point. But yeah, I don't know. We've already been knowing that daylight savings is the worst. Yes. I've said this on, I believe, this show before. That the other one, when they dial the clocks, whatever, uh, forward, mm-hmm. that's the day statistically where there are the most car, car accidents, crashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the most heart yes. attacks. We just know that this, the juice is not worth the squeeze. But I'm seeing the sun in the morning. That's nice. Yeah. But can I get a that's little sun? It. Can I get a little sun after 4 p.m.? That's all I'm asking. And I, like I said, I don't know if it was always this way, if it's the adjustment period, if it's the... If it's just this year, if it's I do this every year, I don't know. Maybe I'm just (laughs) completely forgetting. But this is to me the worst it's ever been. This makes me feel like I'm back in the Arctic Circle. So Mm. somebody fix it, okay? Mm. Somebody write your ombudsman. (laughs) What is if that's got to be the ombudsman? This has to be under the ombudsman's purview. Yeah, Yeah. it's enough. Enough is enough. I weren't need to they see the saying sun. that we were going to be done with? The day, what, didn't they say we were going to abolish daylight savings at some point? Doesn't Saskatchewan not do it? Everyone, basically, this is. If I was looking to move, if I was, you know, when they do those, hey, what are the best places yeah, to live? Most charts? livable cities and stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
my one of my number one things now would be they don't do daylight savings time. <laughs> I would look at that and say, that's a place where I can live. I'm that's there. a place where I can go. Yeah. I'm done with it. No We're, job opportunities. No. I don't care. Yeah, it, it's time. <laughs> it's time to move on. Okay, it's time. It's time for a new thing. Okay, sports. Leafs weekend sucked. Let's just say it. It sucked. They played at two o'clock on a Friday. They do the Thanksgiving hockey. There's all the hockey happening. That was kind of nice to be able to watch the games. Leafs go up. Ryan Reeves even scores a goal. And you're sitting there going, whew, what a happy, fun time. Goal scorer's goal. Yeah, what a happy, fun time this is indeed. The Toronto Maple Leafs up in a hockey game against the crappy team, the Chicago Blackhawks. Hey, who cares about the whole rust versus rest? Dude, I really didn't want this to be an argument. I said it with Luke Fox last week, but it was driving me crazy that the Leafs were letting it out, the whole Sheldon Keefe well, you know, it might be tough and the schedule might be tough. I go, guys, this was a all expenses trip, a paid trip to Sweden. I know you're multimillionaires and you can all do that. And some of you spend your off seasons here, but this was a really cool thing that you all got to experience where the lot of you go over to Sweden, play in front of international fans. William Nylander has the week of his life. All the Swedish players get to bring family and friends and European fa- family for guys like David Camp. They get to come to these games. They're adored. They're, they've, they're given a ton of praise. It helps grow the game. It's an awesome thing. Don't ruin it with, well, it's hard to come back and do this. You're professional athletes in your 20s. You have every advantage to be able to do this. I know travel can be exhausting. You're not lugging your bags through Pearson <laughs> and trying to deal with your screaming family as they figure this one out for you. It's, it's fine. You're going to be all right. So they start the Chicago game and they look fine. And I'm, I'm thrilled because I don't want this to be an excuse. I don't want any part of the, what was it even called? The international series. I can't even remember whatever the hell that series was called. Do it again. Do it more, make it an actual showcase. I don't want to lose any momentum from that. And then the Leafs just tank. They just tank the rest of that game. They look awful. They don't really do much. There's really no force. There's nothing. And the end of the game, people start going, you know, that's another game where Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews haven't really done much. Then Saturday comes. It's a big Dubas game. Well, for some not. Samian Leafs talks that he didn't think about Dubas at all when they played the Penguins. I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought about him all week and what this yeah, team would look like with Dubas. Well, no, not all the time. But I, this week particularly, I thought, hey, they're leading up to the first matchup with the Penguins. What would be different? What has worked? What yeah. hasn't? Because I, I think we would all agree that the Leafs so far look like a pretty flawed hockey team. They, they've got a bunch of holes. I don't think it should be this bad where they only have five regulation wins. But, yeah, they're a pretty flawed team. So Saturday night, I'm thinking, all right, it's Austin Matthews' 500th career game. 500 career games for Austin Matthews. This is somebody who usually, he has a knack for showing up in games like this. Mitch Marner hasn't really done much lately. Okay, Saturday night, surely these guys are going to do something. They did something. It was called, they gave up a goal 20, 28 seconds after the top, the top line, the true top line, which is the Bertuzzi, Nylander, and Tavares line, scores a goal to put them ahead. The Leafs get beat in transition. Marner Matthews on the ice. And that's all she wrote for those guys. And then, yeah, it's another game where the two of them don't really do anything. And now you've got a situation where Matthews has scored one goal in his last seven games. And Marner, this is the stat of the day. So everybody prepare. Everybody breathe. He's gone without a five on five point in 13 of 19 games this season. 
That's bad. That's really not good because they they flashed this uh, stat up on the broadcast of how he's got the same amount of points this year as he did last year through 20 games and everyone should probably chill out a little bit and hey, sometimes our perception is a little bad. And I agree. Sometimes we've done that in this market with players where guys have had a bad game or two and you go, damn, all right. There's probably criticism got a little too hot, right? This one, I don't think this is the case. To me, Matthews looks... A lot like the Austin Matthews from last year, all of a sudden, where maybe he had some phantom wrist injury. I don't think he's hurt right now, but he's just not having a massive impact on a lot of these games. Doesn't feel like the guy that we saw early on in the season who was just, you know, forechecking phenom and who turns pucks over and finds ways to insert himself into hockey games where he's not scoring. Not a ton of force. And Mitch Marner, by basically every single metric, does not look like the same guy. And it's frustrating to me because Nylander is just going on a completely different level. They finally figure out the second line. All of a sudden, the top line isn't carrying their weight. And, and I'm sorry, we can spend all the time in the world talking about the Max Domi doesn't have a goal or is the third line defensively responsible enough or should they be adding a blue liner? These things are all true, right? Is their goaltending good enough? Yes, yes, yes. But this team is predicated on what? The, the top guys being studs, the top guys being dominant and carrying the, the most of the weight for this hockey team. You can't ask for $13 million and $11 million and just blank checks and then not expect to be the heartbeat of the team, not expect to be the team that, or sorry, the players that carry this team. The reason why these guys are in the cap situation and have some of the holes they have is because you guys ask for all the money. So I'm sorry, the bar is extremely high on these guys. And yeah, we'll see what ends up happening this week. It's pretty jam-packed Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday games, big one against Boston. But they're going to need a whole hell of a lot better from Mitch Marner um, and from Austin Matthews, frankly. Christopher Stieg, uh, creator of the Clever App, two-time Stanley Cup champion. What's up, brother? It's been a while. I've been traveling. Oh, it is always great to be back on with you. Thank Every you. time I look forward to it. I know you do. That's why mm-hmm. you, you text me ahead of time. You go, can't wait. I, put, I even put my cat back in the yeah. room. That's what it is. This is the best time of your week. Is y- yeah. You get a lot of satisfaction when the kids you coach – you know, when they're all looking at the Clever app with you and you're going over everything and they've really had a breakthrough, right, where a kid lo- really learns yep. a skill and you smile and you go, this is how it feels when I do JD's show. They're the same. Which one is better? I don't know. Yeah, well, it's for sure the show now. It is for Thanks sure for the show. I appreciate you. So what's wrong with Marner? Am I blowing this out of proportion? <laughs> there, there's, there's a couple ways to look at Mitch Marner and, and if I'm seeing what I feel is the issue. I feel it is William Nylander. I, when certain players on your team are always the star mm. and Nylander's always had to sit underneath Matthews and Marner, whether it was playing on the second line, whether it's playing on the second PP, he's always been the guy who's ate it. Now he's the guy who's driving the bus. He's the guy at the top. He's everyone who's everyone's talking about. He's demanding the puck more on the power play than a Marner generally would. And that could be something that's playing a little bit into the psyche of Mitch. Um, And also, let's go back to the entire lineup thing, too. Like, Mitch keeps getting handed things, okay? Mitch is handed on the first line with, um, with Austin Matthews. Why can't Nylander ever go there to get Austin Matthews going? Why can't Mitch ever go down to a third line to work his way back up? I know he makes $11-plus million, but just looking into the psyche of a player, 
who has always been the guy, which is great, and he's earned it, and I and I love how he plays. Mm-hmm. But he's not he's not ever been a player. When we remember, we go back to Kucherov. He's never been a player who's gonna <clears throat> totally physically dominate a game, like puck dominate a game like a Kucherov or like a guy like William Nylander can, just because of pure physical ability. And now he can skate, he can do all those things, he can pass, but pure physical ability. So that's that's part of it, I think. But again, when it comes back to now everyone's talking about Nylander, he's the guy, he's the one demanding the puck more. I think that could play a little bit into the psyche and the confidence of a guy who now needs to sit underneath Williams' shadow at this moment. Now this stuff can turn on a heartbeat. William can start playing a little, mm-hmm. could start playing worse really at any moment. Now all of a sudden Marner starts to pick it up based on, okay, now I need to be the guy. Good teams do do that. Sometimes the best players drop off and the other best players are going and they, they reverse. So hopefully that's the case. But I feel like that could be a little bit of it. Mm. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, looking at it, um, it's tough for those guys because you're right. There isn't, there isn't a physicality to Marner's game that some other players can have, right? But I also think that's part of no. the modern NHL too now is not a ton of guys have that. But last season... With Mitch, I, I thought that there were real stretches where he was the team's best player. And it wasn't always just the primary scoring, right? It was some of that stuff. It was the intercepting pucks. And the. Well, you know, you know like, well, just to sort of yeah, cut yeah, it off, go. there's a couple plays on four checks, too, when you're watching Mitch play. He, he's at one, say, and he's just going and then he turns because he's anticipating. Mm. So that means that tells me he's just thinking. He's thinking way too much, maybe about trying to create offense and he's frustrated with not being able to create at the same clip he could. Yeah, whatever. It's the same as last year, but he ex- expects a lot from himself. So those are plays when you start to cheat the game, essentially, because when you're F1, generally you have to go hard at the puck. So I watch Mitch right now. He's F1. He's like going and then he like turns off because he's trying to anticipate which way the puck's going. But I would assume that's not what Keith wants. And those are plays that lead throughout a game. And when Mitch is going, his feet are buzzing. Right? Yeah. He's, the, he's one of the best skaters ever. So he's F1. He's in there. He's not going to ever get body on guys, but he's just going to get in there. He's going to create turnovers. He's going to create havoc. He's going to get the puck out of the pile, and he's got such high IQ that he's going to make a play right away. So those are things that when I'm looking at him, it starts to tell me, is it a bit of a, you know, you're, you're, you're gripping the stick a little bit because you want to ex- you're expected to put more points on the board, or is it because, okay, this is a bit of William Nylander's bust right now. Let's let him drive and my confidence isn't fully there. Here's the problem is that he and Matthews, when they're on the ice together so far this season, they're, they're getting outscored. They're yeah, getting outshot. Well, too much risk. Too much risk in your own zone all the time. Too, way, way too much risk. And puck management, we go back to that Chicago game, McCabe standing still. I mean, you've known from kids hockey, when your feet are standing still, you never throw anything blind to the front of the net or mm. um, you try to go cross ice. And then Matthews tries to go behind the net and, or behind the back. And it's just too much risk in the own zone for those guys. And, and again, cheating the game. They just, they're cheating the game a little too much. That's when you're looking at line combos. Get Mitch off that line and yeah. get William on that line. Get Matthews going. Who's more important, Mitch or Matthews, in the end? Well, yeah, it's clearly Matthews. But I will say that, it, to, to me, the only way that they win is if they have all three guys absolutely buzzing, right? Like, yeah, when, they, when they get to the playoffs, lines, they, they've think, seen too. it. They've seen it where some have... of them. Yeah. yeah. So, to me, th- this is the big question, though, is because you've got finally the, and I was mentioning this on Leafs Talk the other night, you finally have the second line going, dude. 
You find Bertuzzi found a home, right? He found something that's working for him. Uh, you you feel great about his game right now. He just looks like the the dude that was promised to fans here, where he goes to the right areas, he plays tough in the corners, he looks happy just when he's on the ice. He, he's found chemistry with Nylander and with Tavares. And so if you are going to split these guys up, which I think you should at this point, there's there's two components to it in my in my thinking. One is, well, are you going to deviate? Like, are you going to do that where all of a sudden now Nylander isn't playing with Bertuzzi or you're moving Bertuzzi as well and you're moving Nyes down and you're doing a full shuffle? And two, isn't the big problem with this overall that they break him up, but ultimately Marner and Matthews know at the end of the day they're going to get put back together because they're running the show. Yeah, I know. They just, when you're looking at lines and when you're looking at how players are playing, so look at Mitch Marner, you should always look at the matchups. Who are they getting? They're generally getting the top D. So whether Bertuzzi stays on the second line and they get Cal Yarncroft and Marner goes to the third line with Roberts and Domi, which could elevate their minutes, could elevate their role a bit, and Nylander goes up, now you're actually giving Nylander the harder matchup throughout the game. You're starting to give. Mitch, a better matchup. And Bertuzzi and Tavares, like you said, they stay most likely at that same matchup. Or if Marner goes to the third line, they could now get an easier matchup than they did prior with Nylander on that line. So if you have a good chemistry with Bertuzzi and Tavares created, Nylander's obviously the driver at the end of the day. He's the guy, I get it. But you need to get Austin going. Why, if William goes with Austin, can't they stay? These are calls we've always talked about, Keith, that he can't make, that he needs to make in order to elevate this team to do good things. There's, there's multiple things that I look at this team and I worry about great teams if I'm looking at the Golden Knights, and those are to the, the ability to change your lineup to create either depth or create better matchups mm-hmm. for certain players and bad goals at bad times in every game. So the last two games, I look at the games, goals against. First period, they score. Within a minute, they get scored against. Second period, at the end of the period, they, they lose a draw clean last game with camp. Can't lose a draw. You're supposed to be out there, lose a draw clean, goal against. They're always getting scored at last minute of games. When they score, they let a goal in right after within a minute. And these are the biggest worries for me. Is it is that the coaching staff not harping enough on these timely situations, times of games? Mm-hmm. And then is it also the personnel they're putting out into those situations who not who can't execute? But then you go back to the entirety of the lineup in itself, it's too stagnant. They need to move certain guys around to get other guys going, to get better matchups, to create better, um, just to create better energy, I think, throughout the lineup that gives them a better uh, opportunity to win. Okay, so you mentioned that you'd like to see Nylander with Matthews, though, but do you think that there's a scenario, yeah, for you where you just you keep the second line intact, you try to find wingers around Matthews, like you keep Nyes there and you bump somebody up, and then, yeah, you try to create a third line that, that Marner's driving it for a while. Because to me, if I'm Keefe, this is sort of, this is, gonna, this is a tough one. Because I actually, my theory on Marner or part of it is, I think it might just be some burnout. Truly. I, I'm looking at this guy and he just, he doesn't look the same. And now he's have to, you know, you're in a bit of a slump and then you got to do the travel and maybe you're not feeling yourself. Like, again, all of his numbers are kind of down. Doesn't look like the same guy. Doesn't look like he's playing with the same energy. I would think that for some of these stars, one of the most frustrating things, and again, I really don't want to make it seem like it's not a problem that they help create. It's partially the cap. Like, they, they deserve some of this well, money, but... minutes a game. Yeah, another issue. But, but that's it, is they play so many minutes... And whenever there's a stretch like this where Marner doesn't provide something, the team can't win. 
And that must be a bit of an exhausting feeling where you go, damn it, I can't have a couple of games where I'm not myself and feel like our goaltending is ever going to win us a game. Our blue line is ever going to win us a game. It's rare that the depth scoring wins us a game. So it's just always got to be me. Again, this is their own. They made this monster. This is their Frankenstein with the way that these guys wanted to get paid and where they didn't even really think about it, where they were like, yep, whatever, it's fine. Like, who cares? Move players out. We want the bag. But yeah, I just, I think he might be exhausted. So Keith has to balance. Hey, do I really want to put something else on this guy? Do I really want to add pressure to this guy by bumping down the lineup? But also it's kind of this point where he's on the hot seat. He's got to be coaching for his job. And I wonder if he just kind of puts his foot down and says, all right, this is the time I'm doing it. Mitch, you're not going down to the second line. You're, you're going down to the third. It's how you talk to your players. It's how you talk to your players. It's how Keith talks to the media if you're going to do something like move Mitch down to the third line or move him down to the second line or whatever you want to do, it's how you talk to your players. It's mm-hmm. Mitch, this is what's best for the team. Please let's have a conversation about what you feel about this situation. If you don't like it, this is what I believe is best for the team as the coach. It, how you talk to the media. JD, this is what's best for the team, we believe, at the moment. This isn't against Mitch Marner. This isn't against Austin. This isn't against Will. It's about how you talk to your players and you make them feel incentivized to do a great job no matter where they are. And the best coaches are the best communicators that can always do these things to make players feel important no matter what role they're in. And that's just something with communication that Keith will need to do It's too stagnant. It's Mm -hmm. too stagnant with leaving things the same all the time and just hoping it's going to work out. You have to move things around at times. Sometimes coaches move it around too much, which breaks up chemistry. But with these top guys, with these guys having so much ability, you have to sometimes understand that your point totals might go down. Mm -hmm. That's a big thing. Patrick Kane, I've talked about it numerous times. Every time he's won the cup, he's not even, he he didn't get 100 points. He didn't get, he barely had a point of game the one year. These guys uh, understood that sometimes he's not going to be on the ice in certain moments at the end of games with empty nets. That was what it took to win, and he understood what it was, and that was communicated by the coaching staff. This is what needs to be communicated by the coaching staff, and then the players are going to have to understand that they will need to sacrifice in order to win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to see it. I think this is, again, though, there's just so many... The, the reason why I like doing a show like this is because you can go over all the different machinations of it and all the reasons why and why not instead of just a tweet where it's like, it's time to break these guys up. Because ultimately, like, I agree with the premise. I agree with the idea that, hey, they need they need a bit of a shakeup right now. You're right. It's too stagnant with Marner and Matthews. And I I, I empathize with fans, too, who watch this and go, how how many games are you guys just allowed to... Yeah, look pretty lackluster, which is there's been six games this season. I know it's only, what, 19 games, but there's been six of them where those two guys making that much money who have been handed everything and play that many minutes that they've gone without a point to get, like, combined. That's that's well, not great. You know, if you put, if you put Nylander, and yeah. I felt it as a player. I was never these guys. But when sometimes you get put with a player you uh, want to play with mm-hmm. or a player that you've thought of playing with, so let's take Matthews and Nylander, I'm sure deep down at some point they're like, let's just get us together. Or they've talked about it. Yeah. And when they get put together, an, an energy shift happens. 
it, it happens. The players start to think, man, like I'm now with this guy. Let's make something happen to prove the coach right. Or if we've ever had this conversation about, wow, we wish we were together. Let's prove each other right. I can almost, I could, I mean, it's it's obvious that that conversation's probably happened. I would assume those two want to play with each other. Player. That's 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 like well documented. It's a, it's been a long running thing. They they want to play side by side. So put them together and watch yeah. the energy shifts happen in a game. Watch no, no, Matthews I mean Marner and Matthews want to play together. Like that's yeah, the, 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 yeah. Nylander I'm talking yeah. too. Yeah. I'm sure Matthews would love a chance with Nylander. five on five. Let let that happen. I, I know Marner mm. and Matthews, and then you can always like. There's, there's times you can shift back and all that, but I'm sure Matthews would love a chance with Nylander, and maybe that would give him more energy to, like you talked about, you open the show, mm-hmm. forecheck, get on plays, play with more energy. It just brings a different energy, a different vibe into the game. It might set Marner back a little bit, but at the end of the day, maybe it, it makes him play a little bit harder, get him back on track, get him back on his game where he needs to go. So. Yeah. I think those type of things can bring a different energy in a team, a different energy to players, make them work for it a little bit more. Also with the understanding, hey, if I'm not going, things are going to change. Yeah. See, that that part of it, again, that basically where I'm coming to on all this is that there's really no ideal solution. Because one of the things that has really helped Nylander this year is his, he's shooting more. He's shooting way more. And his percentages haven't dipped. And so when people are looking at the goals, it's like he's been way more aggressive. And how does that change if all of a sudden he's playing with Austin Matthews, right? The two guys are going to take all the shots. I don't know. It just it feels like you're yeah. you're robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit with those two guys playing together. Even though, again, I'm not totally against this idea. I'm just saying that that's the drawback to me, along with the fact that you're breaking up a line that's finally going, and you feel like, hey, Bertuzzi, the mercenary who you're trying to get buy in, who's so important to you, finally feels like he's found a home on that line. The other option is you keep win. But that's it. But win. you, you got it. You, your other win. option is you break up Mitch and Matthews and you decide not to touch that second line. And all of a sudden, what? Marner's playing with Max Domi? Like they're just passing the puck back and forth to each other. Neither of them ever shooting. You know, it's just like your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, maybe shoot it once between the two of you. Like, I don't think that works. Okay, well, what if you move Domi up on to the top line and you let him play with Matthews for a little while? You try to find uh, something a little bit more creative, right? Okay, well, then who's playing third center? You're going to have Camp play with Marner, and all of a sudden he's playing on a shutdown line? Like, it's all the issues of the team colliding. They need, ultimately, to me, at the end of the day, they actually need Marner and Matthews to work out together on the same line. Assuming, again, you're right, fine. Break up the second line, take a peek at it. What's the harm? Ultimately, you feel like you did find something. Maybe switching Nylander up and having him with Matthews and having Marner back with... But, like, the top six has to be the top six, ultimately. Like, the idea of the, the third line, the driver, it just it doesn't work with the other pieces that they have, in my opinion. Well, here's the thing. You put Yarncroc with Matthews and Nyes... I think it's it, fine. It, it's fine, but that's it. It's fine. You put Marner now down with Camp and say you have Camp be the defensive guy and put Domi to the side, or if you bring Nyes down, you can really. Sh- I still think you can shift things around. I think Gregor can take more of a role on a line, if, like as a as a Max Domi, Gregor Marner. Let's just say that. Not saying that's sure, it, but you have a four checker. You have someone that can get in there. You can elevate guys. Then Robertson obviously comes out at that point, which is a bit of a problem for Robertson, who's a guy who's actually playing pretty well at this time. There's there's things you can do, I still think. There's things you can do. You can try. You do have to shift guys around, I think, if you're ever going to win. That's just my own 
stop. But yeah, I, I just if you put Yarn Croc out there, it's good, but it's not great. And no. you need Matthews to be great. And that's so it. That's why I think of Nylander going there rather than a Yarn Croc or yeah. a, a Robertson or someone like that. You need him to get the. He's playing the best matchups every night. He's playing the hard, the best two D men, the best checkers every single night, which is good for Willie because he can now take that secondary matchup and you can see how he can expose it time and time again, game and game again when he's demanding the puck. But just to get Austin a better option against the best players on the other team every night is something that I would look at because you put Yarncroft, sure, it's great. It's good, but it's not great. Okay. Like, I don't know how many times you ended up having to do this in your career, but when I say the stuff about like Bertuzzi having to move and Nylander all of a sudden having to move and dealing with different players, right? right? Especially when you're on the wing and trying to find chemistry in season, like do, am I overstating the challenge of that? Like, like how difficult is it? And, and what is the most difficult aspect of it? <laughs> so there's players, you know, you like to play with. And when the coach doesn't put you with them, it's frustrating. So you're like, I can play really well with this player. We've shown it. Maybe they have some analytical BS that they don't like it together. But when you play with that player and you get with that player and you're playing and there's an energy that you understand, hey, I know where you're going, you know where I'm going. There's also players when you've played with them for a long time, you start to think, man, this kid's never going to find me here. This guy's never going to do this. This guy's never going to chip the puck and he's never going to get it behind the net. And then you start to go into this, psyche of a player like well why am I even going to go to these spots on the ice anymore if I'm not going to get it and then all of a sudden the puck goes and you're like oh man that player actually made that play when he's never made it before Mm -hmm. so then you start second guessing yourself with certain combinations or certain players you're with and then that leaks into your game so whether it's a player you're playing with for a long time or if it's a player that coach put you with that you know man we've played together before this hasn't really worked out so it's like there's there's multiple facets to it and it just comes back to guys that when when you're playing well with a certain guy, you're on the same wavelength, you know where the puck's always going, you understand each other um, on, I've said it again, same wavelength, but you just understand the little fine details to the game that make you build your game, that make you feel better about yourself. So that's that's the piece to it when you're shifting guys around and shifting combos. You can already see it in practice. Watch practice. Watch how they take three-on-two rushes. Watch how they battle down low. You can see who is already vibing and gelling in practice. That's the first place to see it. When they bring it to the game, obviously that's where they have to execute it. But as a player, when lines shift, you go in practice, and you can see it right away. Yeah, here's the thing. They got. You're right, though. They got to switch something up. They got to give something. They got to give some kind of a new look because right now the blue line isn't good enough. They're not getting saves. The depth is pretty questionable. Um, they've got five regulation wins so far this season, which is amongst the I lowest in the league. I still question the depth thing. Just You think there's enough? I mean, well, I don't think it's bad. When you play seven minutes one night, I look at Domi, played seven mm-hmm. minutes. They, Robertson, 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 11 minutes. Like, I question the coaching. The, the, the coaching of utilizing the depth. So those are the, they're, they're, you're right, there's holes, no doubt. The blue line isn't deep enough, no doubt. The goaltending, I don't know why Samsonov can't get off his goal line. It's wild. They got a sub-900 save, those two guys combined. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not good enough. But the depth on Ford, I do question that narrative based on 
coaching and how they're being utilized. But you're right about the refs. Sorry. Yeah. I I actually do. I do wonder if they, like, they keep going this way. The only lever that they, I think that they can pull, everyone's like, oh, they're going to make a trade. They're going to make some big splashy trade. I keep wondering if it's just eventually, like, everyone brings up the Keefe extension. Hey, he was extended. Hey, he's not going to get fired. They didn't like not paying Babcock. I'm like, this is MLSE. I don't feel as though they're going to bat an eye if they just go, you know what, Guy Boucher is the coach for the rest of the season and Sheldon Keefe's gone in a couple of weeks. Oh, dear Lord. I know, I'm just saying, I, 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 I don't... I don't think that that's an ideal solution. I don't think that he ends up being the head coach the following year, right? And this is why I don't really love, again, there's no real options that I love that people present to me. And I'm with you on the forward depth. I think that they have players. I actually kind of like that they've got two forward groups in their bottom six that kind of work situationally, where if they're protecting a lead, they're in a tight hockey game, you up the camp minutes, right? I actually like Gregor too, but I he feels like, the guy in Mighty Ducks who could really play, who could really skate, but he couldn't stop. But that's him with finishing where it's like, oh, man, Gregor, look at him go. And then he just never finishes. He never scores. He scored that one goal that was really nice. But outside yeah, of that, yeah. he's just, it's like, yeah, he's a guy that you'd watch skate around and you would say, who is this guy? He must be amazing. And then, yeah, he just cannot score. He can't finish one. And then if they're chasing a game a little bit or they need some offense, they do have the Domies. They do have Robertson who's actually found something, a little bit of something. They do have Yarncroc. So, I don't mind. I don't hate the oh, forward depth as much oh, as other Steve. stuff. Is Steve's not a guy they can Steve's? pull Steve's? No. No? No. I mean, sure, but this is, they're not, this isn't yeah, a team. They, they got they got better there. forwards than Steve's at this point. Like, they, the guys they got there, unless they're playing Reeves, they, they got better forwards than Steve's. I'm, I'm talking more on like a fourth role of Gregor. Is yeah. I just think it, they, that they found it with McMahon kid. They, that he's, that it's the same thing. I'd rather have the big body that can at least deliver a hit. And you know, it was hard to move six foot three or whatever McMahon is. I, I'd rather have that dude than Steve's every, t- every Maybe Steve's is better. I don't watch a lot of Marley's games. I will admit I, I, it's just not something that I, I, I clock a lot of, but when I've seen Steve's play up with the Leafs, I've never gone, Hmm, there's something here. It always just feels like, the typical quad a AHL guy who has the good enough skills to play in the NHL as a bottom six guy, but is never going to leave you with like a real indelible mark. Yeah. I, I just looking at guys. Is there not anyone else in the no. Marlies who could come make a mark? No, no, no. In a bottom six, no. in a fourth line. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Sorry. I don't, I don't think so. I think that this is it. I think that the guys they've got, they've got, and they kind of need to make it work with the forwards because whatever tra- uh, trade assets they have, they're going to need to store everything for some kind of a move this year at the deadline to add a defenseman. That's a like unquestionable need for this team. They're going to need, need, need to do that. But then the, the scary one is what happens if you got to do a goaltender move? Because these guys... You go, you know, you're going to be patient with it. Nobody's making a goalie move right now. Like there's the Calgary trade that's there with the defenseman that maybe you can pull at some point way before the deadline, although Calgary's been way better. So I don't know how desperate they're going to be or how anybody is on the table or how much anybody's on the table other than Zadorov for something that isn't a huge trade package right now. But yeah, the, you got to trade or you got to save some assets because you just, you might have more holes than you anticipated if neither of the goalies can just be the guy for you. I don't even know what assets they have to trade. Yeah, they got like, Fraser Minton. They've got a couple of firsts, like not all of them, though, obviously. They, they've traded a bunch of picks that are in the future already that, that are gone. Some that are just hanging around first, from the cave. They have a first next week, next year. Yeah. yeah, next year they have a first, and I think the year after they don't. I always forget it, but yeah, they're they they're like missing 
I think it's next year's draft. They're missing their first three picks in the draft. I, I hate saying this off the top of my head, but yeah, they're they're not exactly deep in the cupboards with picks, but they still do have some. Like they can still wheel picks, but yeah, how often do you want to end up doing that? How many times do you want to remove the depth from this team when again, you, you end up needing those guys? And if you don't think that this is the team, right? Like if you don't think that, like it was one thing last year, when it felt like the all-in season and there were all these guys where they felt like, okay, cool, we can address the blue line, we can get Ryan O'Reilly, we can push all in at the deadline. The pieces aren't there. You don't think that this is the team. Yeah, I'm not I'm not overly sure that you should be just trying to get dudes who can paper over the holes in your lineup but don't actually really fill them. And well, especially if you're going to trade an asset now. That's, that's for, what I mean. If, if you're bringing in a coach, if the coach isn't going to play that asset either. Well, yeah. So you He'll need play to a blue liner. get on the – you need to get – on the same page about if we're going out and, and getting rid of uh, important assets, you need to play this player. Mm-hmm. This isn't bring him in and play him seven, 10 minutes, like a Domi or, you know, these certain players, you need to bring in this player and you need to play him because we're giving up this much for him. Okay. So that that's where they need to get on the same page. But you're right. If the team's not ready or they don't feel that this iteration of the Leafs can do it, then why give up? Yeah, I think they got to be realistic. The problem is yeah. I, I just I do wonder what kind of pressure there is on Shanahan after a year where he fires Dubas, and then the new guy brings in a couple of signings that just really don't work. Klingberg, LTIR, whatever, Reeves, awful signing. Yeah, uh, if the team looks worse and it doesn't have any regular season success when they have with the former guy, yeah, what kind of fingers start to get pointed and where? Okay, so before you go, uh, did you see the Ovi quote? Yeah, loved it. Yeah, so did I. I. And I think it was great. And I agree with a lot of what he was saying. Okay, I was curious, though, what your position was going to be because you were on, like, the team's... I think that right after... That's my generation. No, I know that's your generation, but you were on teams that won. Like, I feel like the Blackhawks being a major market team that... Like, if I was pointing to the main reasons, right? It was absolutely Sid. Sid... Sid, those two Red Wings series, the way that everybody was just dialed into hockey again, just being back in the bars and university and just how much hockey mattered then. Like every single person trying to get a seat, every single person wanting to watch Sid. Him just being the, yeah, the Winter Classic guy, the HBO 24-7 just made hockey hot. Ovi, I think a little less so in this country, even though every, like there were a lot of Ovi fans and the goals were spectacular, but their rivalry especially was special and still is special because like, I, I still want to see them play and I still view it as a rivalry. Like I, I like seeing Sidney Crosby play this well right now as Ovechkin, you know, is trying to chase the goal record. I love all of it, but yeah, you were just, you were on a major market team that was not a major market team. That was like a big disappointment that won a couple of cups. I, just, I don't know. I just thought maybe you'd be a little sour going, Hey, we helped save the league too, the Blackhawks. Yeah, I mean, when I showed up to the Blackhawks in 2006, that trade, 2007, yeah. uh, my NHL card didn't even get me into a bar in Chicago. Not yeah. even kidding. And we used to, uh, when I went to a game, there's about 6,000 people at the Blackhawks yeah. game. And this would have been 2006, seven or yeah, 2007, eight starting. That's when Kane and Taze just came in as well. So looking back, Sid and Ovi, 2005 lockout. <clears throat> we were, I was drafted 2004 with uh, mm-hmm. Ovi. 2005 was Sid during the lockout. Mm-hmm. They put all their eggs in the Sid and Ovi basket coming out of that lockout because of the, 
because of the rollback of players' salaries, because of the, you know, people like, oh, we're never going to come back to hockey. They needed to invest in the youth. They still could have done it more. Hockey's never done it near enough. But they invested in the Sid and OB coming out of the lockout. And when those guys came out, we were on Outdoor Network in the U.S. The mm-hmm. Outdoor Network. Oh, I remember. That's where it started. Yeah. And, and OV started scoring goals and highlight goals. So I believe Ovi in the States was big. He was yeah. massive, especially for the game. Sid on the Canadian border side was massive just because he was one of our own. But those two in 2005-06 gave a spark back to the league for fans to come back. And then they rode that wave of every playoff series. And then all of a sudden the Hawks came 2007, a major market team that hadn't been good since the 90s essentially. And, you know, we start to sell out the building from 2008. Uh, at the end of 2008, that end of that season, I remember our last game sold out and then all of a sudden we're in the championship. But it does have to start with a spark. And I look back, it was Sid and Ovi. There was a ton of pressure on them coming out of that lockout. And they did not disappoint. They come in as rookies. And also people don't quite get it. The game was harder in those days in a certain way. Like in today's game, they can come in, they can freewheel, and they don't got to fear for their lives. In 2005 and in 2006, on the ice, you still had to fear for your life at times. Guys were coming to hit you. Guys were coming to hurt you every time they hit you, every single time. And those guys played through an, an insanely physical, physical game and physical time. And they put up points and they balled out every single night. And I'm very grateful as a as a alumni and a hockey player who's had my career for the great players because they're the ones who create the hype they're the ones who create the salaries for all of us to earn so i i fully support anything sid or ovi ever say yeah uh i will i think that someday if hbo ever tries to reignite the winning time docu or television series which was the magic and bird showing how they quote unquote saved the nba i was like you know what this was a great i was jealous of this take and i was jealous of this article and all of the things surrounding it because i went this is totally correct. This is this is a hundred percent the right thing to be focusing on. These two guys did save the league. Like, yeah, there was lots of good things that worked for hockey, right? Some of the rule changes really worked well for them. Uh, yeah, the yeah. the game was good. There was a lot of you know fun, exciting teams that were winning. I think that it's always good to have teams that you're familiar with start to win. And so the Blackhawks get a nod for that. The Kings do too. Um, but yeah, overall, those were the two stars that you could sell. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was just like, there was a lot of things that were working for the league at the time, but nothing was bigger than those two guys. But I did feel for Gino who was like lost in the shuffle because he's taken right after, uh, he's taken right after Ovechkin. And yeah. he's like the forgotten guy in all of this. He was so good. Like what he's about just... the guy. What about the guy taking 132 picks after Gino? Yeah. Was that oh, you? Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 yeah I was going to say, cause what were you, you were fourth or fifth round? 134. Yeah. This yeah, was five. Yeah. Fifth round. Yeah. That's pretty good though. That was a good pick. Like good job, yeah. Boston picking you in the fifth round. This is a solid, solid, solid pick. Fifth round pick. Yeah. You get your career two times cup winner. That's a nice one. I'll take it. But yeah. Those, you're, yeah, you're right. Malkin goes second after Ovi. He has yeah. to go play behind Sid. Yeah. And hey, you're talking about a guy who is uh, arguably a top 50, 60 player 100%. ever. I know he didn't get he didn't get in the top 100, which is an absolute trap. That was so Joe. crazy. People were mad because Joe Thornton didn't get in. I was like, I'd be mad about Gino not getting in. <laughs> the yeah, Gino good. doesn't get in, but yeah. he's a top player ever. And if you want to turn this back on the lease, that's a guy 
You know, he took over games, especially in 2009 and 16. It was wild what he did on the ice. Yeah. But he let Crosby be the guy. When Crosby wasn't in, he was the guy. And that's the perfect understanding of what it takes to win when you're when you're with the best player in the world and you're probably the second best player in the world. Mm-hmm. So that, these are things that I, you know, you bring it all the way back to the Leafs. They're, they're good learning lessons for those guys. But those players in that, that kind of era born in 2002, 3, you know, the Getz laughs, uh, stalls, all those players, mm-hmm. they all dispersed across the league. The 2003 draft is the best draft ever. Yeah. And those players dispersed across the league and helped build foundation for every single team. And they're all great characters too. They were all funny guys, people you could put on the screen and people that, and, and players that people could relate with. Yeah, totally agree. Hey buddy. Uh, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it as always. Uh, Christopher Stieg created the clever app, which again, you can download for free. Uh, I would highly recommend that all coaches and then, yeah, just people who are involved in youth sports that you go grab uh, you just download it. Go check it out. Anyway, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Uh, DeMar Rosen got in his feelings over the weekend. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the Raptors won a play-in game. And I, yes. by play-in game, I mean... In-season, in-season tournament. tournament game. Everybody says play-in all the yeah, time. I know. It's really tough. Yeah, hey, it's, well, a, it's a where were you when moment. You'll be telling your grandkids. I remember watching. You know what though? I hate this attitude. Player. This actually drives me nuts because which attitude? My attitude? Yeah, that that attitude. Oh, well, I, just from, okay. I love the in season tournament. So no, but here was my thing. Raptors, they lost. Just it's just the thing about the fans sometimes is where too cool to win the in season tournament. If you're the Raptors, this is actually something that you should give a crap about. I think they need to tweak it. They definitely need to do something like. You get an extra first round pick, or you get a automatic buy, or automatically into the playoffs that, if that's you the get move, it, I think. or you, or you get, host a play a playoff series or whatever. I, I just I just like something that if you're a fan, you have stake because I get that the the games have improved because the players want the 500k, and they especially and I really do believe it that guys like Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, right? If you're the Suns, you want to win these games because the dudes down the lineup. They all get half a million dollars. It's huge for them. Huge. So I think it's working. The gameplay is mostly good. I actually like that you've got the run up the score sure. element of this because it created a moment like this. So DeMar DeRozan, <laughs> after losing the Raptors, the very end of the game, Siakam catches the ball in the corner and he shoots up a three and it goes in and Siakam kind of celebrates it. And after the game, DeRozan was asked about it. I don't care about no in-season tournament points. None of that. Just respect for the game. Rose, flip-flop, had the ball, hold it. Is what it is. No. Wrong. <laughs> okay. I love DeMar. I really do. But this is just an indicator of how bad things are in Chicago right now. Sure. Is when he plays Toronto, he's probably still feeling a little bit of some kind of way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's no way that the actual, by the way, this is correct, the play-in game last year. Yeah, nice. Hey, that last year, (laughs) the real play in game that he didn't love that, that he didn't love that his daughter threw off the Raptors at the free throw line. Yeah, that he had a good game that he sent the Raptors packing. I'm sure that every time he plays them, he wants to beat their ass and he wants to remind them, hey, uh, you made me the scapegoat and you won a championship and you forgot about me, all these different things. But I would get it 
even slightly, if had Siakam held the ball, the game would have been over, right? Like if yeah. this was a Lance Stevenson, hey, you're racking up the points. But there's two things here. One is the Raptors, it's like hold the ball and have a shot clock violation and then you guys get it in shot clock violation. I don't. I never knew that was a part of the code. I was not aware. I've been watching basketball my whole life. I was not aware that if you're up in a basketball game and it's almost over, you're supposed to just dribble the ball out and take the shot clock violation. I've seen it before, yeah. but I, I didn't know that this was actually a part of it where you go, yeah, definitely don't do that. And the second part is you said it, Damar. You know, you know that one of the components of this in-season tournament yeah. is that point differential matters. And so to, to act like this was a disrespectful thing, I thought that this was more of an insight into what's going on with the Rosen right now, who's like really giving quotes. Levine wants out. Levine's giving some quotes he, too. He wants out. Chicago is going to be a tire fire. The oh, only yeah. thing is, yeah, maybe they don't get the assets back. This will be, again, a valuable lesson of just perspective for Raptors fans. You look at Chicago right now, and people are going to probably pick the, the bones of Chicago. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, sure, we'll take Levine, but he makes a lot of money, so we're not going to give you a ton of assets for him. I'm sure he'll get something back in return. DeRozan, same thing. Vucevic, same thing, right? What are you actually going to get back for these players? But the players, like those guys are forcing this rebuild. They know it's not working in Chicago, but they have to do something. And it feels like the Raps, this up and down weekend is just a reminder of, hey, are, are, these, like, are you sure they're going to pick a direction? Or yeah, what they're going to do with this Jeez. direction? Uh, here's my positive from the Raptors weekend. At least the offense is starting to look competent. Yeah, I mean, it's looking way better. than Like, they're scoring points <laughs> against teams. It's nice to see them actually be able to score. Yep. And once Gary Trent Jr. makes a three-pointer again and figures out <laughs> how to shoot the pass, I, the shooting coach of the Raptors, you know how they did the hitting coach for the... For the Jays? For the Jays. Yeah. How, hey, how does this guy have a job? Grady Dick gets sent down to the G League. Yeah. Uh, Sam Decker of Wisconsin fame and of <laughs> being on the Raptors last year he tweeted over the weekend about how someone messed with Grady Dick's shot. I, I'm not a shooting mechanics guy enough to actually be able to pick that up and notice it. I, I want to go look at it and actually try to see. But he's a pretty reputable guy. He's a really good shooter. He talked about how NBA teams do this too much. But yeah, Grady Dick, the guy that you drafted to help with the spacing, is down in the G League and having former NBA players question whether or not his shot got broken down incorrectly. <laughs> and Gary Trent Jr. can't hit a three. If those two th- guys end up figuring it out, I think the Raptors, yeah, they, they won't be a painful watch. There's just the, the offense looks like it's kind of ish turning a bit of a corner. That was a fun game against the Cavs. Mm. And I thought, hey, it'd be almost worse to be a Cavs fan in this situation because you were supposed to be a competitive team. You were supposed to be one of the like contenders, but yeah. you're down in the mud scrapping with the Raptors. Anyways, overall, not such a bad weekend for the Raps, but nah, tough one for DeRozan. Siding with the Raptors here. All right, quick break. Let's come back and do Brady Quinn. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So a couple quick updates before we do Brady. He's not there, right? Okay, cool. Good. I got time for this. One is... Well, Boffo broke two pieces of news to me today. One is that the St. Louis Cardinals, according to John Heyman, are on the verge of signing Sonny Gray. Nice. Good for you, Cardinals. Three years, 75 is what the report is. Um, a few thoughts. It's like, why, J.D., why do you care about the Cardinals? They have now... 
grabbed three pitchers. They were aggressive. They jumped the starting pitching market. Good for them. The only reason that it's of note to me and that I care is one, I didn't want the Blue Jays to sign Sonny Gray. I didn't think that they were going to, but I thought, hey, out of all the pitchers that are in there in free agency, I shouldn't say all the pitchers, but the marquee guys, the actual names in free agency, he was the dead last guy that I thought the Blue Jays needed. But two is St. Louis and Toronto have had a lot of dealings together lately. And if the Manoa stuff was to be believed, and maybe having these three guys doesn't completely remove them from Alec Manoa, but I don't think it helps. Like, it doesn't help the leverage of the Toronto Blue Jays if they're going to end up trying to make a, team, a deal with the same team that they love to trade with now that they've added three arms. So something, something for the watchers of the potential Aquanoa trade. The second piece of news that was broken to me is that Frank Reich was fired. So we have our first Black Monday firing. Our first Cyber Monday thing was like, boom, Frank Reich gone. Um, there was a report that the owner, I think it's Tepper is his name, was seen leaving the locker room and yelled a massive F-bomb in front of everybody that could see when they lost that game. And he was right to do that because his franchise has no value now. It's like the only NFL, it's the only franchise in sports that if someone was like, do you want this? I'd be like, nah, I'm good. I don't want to have to root for these guys because they are in hell. Watching, I I bring this up every single week. It's a nightmare for those fans. This is sports hell. This is basically the worst position that you can be in. You've got a quarterback who's five, six, (laughs) five, seven. Just a tiny, tiny guy. Who cannot make a play. And you're watching CJ Stroud who turned a bunch of absolute nobody receivers into big time somebodies. Tank Dell's the best receiver in the league. It's yeah, just and... (laughs) And you're going to watch the Bears pick first overall next year because you are absolutely unquestionably the worst team. You can't beat the Mayo kid. Like, you can't beat the Titans with the Mayo drinker. It's bad. It's It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. So whatever. They're bringing in another new head coach. Who knows? Did they say who the replacement is? I don't know. But, yeah, it's an internal interim coach. Special teams coordinator will take over as interim coach. Anyways, if... I do the hopeless franchise rankings every single year, and to me, there's they're just... They're skyrocketing Oh, up. they're number one, without a doubt. Uh, they're, without a doubt, number one. Uh, Brady Quinn, our Monday morning insider, former NFL community. What's up, brother? How are we doing? Doing good. Obviously better than Frank Reich at this point and probably any Carolina Panthers fan that's out there. Dude. Uh, but this, this doesn't come as a surprise to anyone no. um, who's been in the business, been around this, or, or watched the Panthers this season. I think the only surprising thing was is, you know, you when David Tepper took over, um, he... he I think frustrated maybe some Panthers fans in the sense of he went outside the box in bringing in a head coach in Matt Rule. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was some optimism. Uh, Matt Rule was known for building up college teams in Temple and Baylor, and then he gets an opp- his opportunity in the NFL. And, you know, they preached patience, yet it didn't even make it full, full three years before David Tepper ripped the rug out from underneath Matt Rule. Mm-hmm. And I think the thought was, hey, Frank Reich got out of it a disastrous situation with, the owner, Jim Ursay, with every, how everything was handled last year with Jeff Saturday, a guy who wasn't even on the staff, granted a former great for the Annapolis Colts, being brought in as the interim head coach. And people were like, well, that was crazy. And Frank Reich's a former player, very well-respected offensive mind. David Tepper kind of goes in saying, we have the number one overall pick once they traded up to, to that spot. Mm. We trust him. We trust the staff. We trust you know, their process of being able to develop whoever that is. Now it's obviously Bryce Young. 
And then this season has been anything but that. And I think the most frustrating thing for David Tepper is in his early tenure as an owner in the NFL is he's kind of gone two extremes. He went the extreme of a college coach, unproven at the NFL level, thinking outside the box, to then the safe pick, like the guy who's going to come in who understands the NFL from every perspective. And they had a whole roster upheaval when you look at what they brought in offensively. I mean, so many new pieces of this offense in the offseason, and yet none of it has worked out. I mean, it's been an absolute disaster. So you can understand his frustration in all of this, but I also think he's probably feeling the pressure of what he's seen of so many other franchises being able to have immediate success like Houston with C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryans, or even like the Colts with Shane Steichen, who's, as of right now, got the Colts in a position to be a playoff team with Gardner Minshew as their quarterback, and then Anthony Richardson got hurt. So maybe he feels the, the pressure of you know coaches not and players not being able to perform right away, but feels like they should based on what everything else has gone around them within their own division. Mm-hmm. Or old division, I should say, for some of those guys. Yeah. Um, I heard that Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud, too. That probably didn't help things because he's probably just, you know, muttering that around the building every once in a while. <laughs> he's like, you know, I said the other guy. But, yeah, this just reminds me of the Jordan commercial. It's not the shoes. It's like, yeah, I don't know if it's the coaches. I don't think that that's going to change much. And I'm watching the Giants find ways to win with Tommy DeVito, right, doing the – I don't know. If I, he couldn't name it. I can't do it either. The, just, it's just the emoji. I call it the Gabagool because that's the, the famous TikTok that I love so much is the guy going, uh, how about you give me a slice of that Gabagool as he's doing those hands. Every team in the NFL, you're right. It's like there's tons of bad, bad, bad quarterback play. And yet teams are finding ways to win or at least look halfway competent sometimes. And a lot of backups. Then you're watching this Carolina team and it just looks completely hopeless. And so, yeah, I hope, I really do. I'm rooting for them because I hate thinking about what their fans are going through. And uh, yeah, speaking about how fans are supposed to feel. How is a Bills fan supposed to feel after this weekend where you get the Josh Allen game where he's brilliant? You outperform the Super Bowl contender, arguably the best team in the NFL in the Philadelphia Eagles, right? You go toe-to-toe with them, more yards, more time of possession, everything. You make a couple mistakes, and you find the way to lose. And now you're 0-6 in overtime, by the way, since they changed the rules for you. Um, Yeah, are you feeling okay because you saw the blueprint? Like, you saw the team play well? You feeling worse because they do need these games? Like, what's, what's your just feel about what you saw from the Bills this weekend? Probably helpless to some degree. Mm. I mean, when you've got Superman at quarterback and he plays like Superman and it's still not enough, it kind of unfortunately gives you an idea of where you're at. And with the schedule that they face the rest of the season, it's going to be incredibly difficult for them to be able to even make it in. Uh, unless, you know, Miami obviously stumbles within the division, but some of the other teams too uh, end up stumbling around them. Um, but I think that's what was the stark contrast between the two quarterbacks in last night's game. And it's no disrespect to, like, the roster in Buffalo. I mean, they've been decimated by injury this year. We know that. But Josh Allen has to play that way to give them a chance of being the best teams or give them a chance of winning. And that's, I think, the tough thing for Josh Allen is, you know, you go down to their final possession. And, and based on how the game ended, I, I just, as soon as I saw the game go to overtime, I was like, yeah, I know the history. Like, Josh Allen's never won an overtime. It's not an indictment on him. In some of those instances, he didn't even get the ball, Right. But in this case, they were going to need to score a touchdown on the road in Philly in order to be able to beat Philly once they got that football. 
and it's a blitz zero, an all-out blitz, and like a, the dynamics of the player of this, Gabe Davis has a corner out, right? And based mm-hmm. on where they were in the field, he probably should have kept his angle a little bit higher towards the, to, towards the back pylon. Um, but, but it doesn't matter in that case because Josh Allen didn't throw him there. He threw him, threw him more up the field. And he threw him more up the field because when you get a blitz zero look like that, you know there's an extra rusher. You know you're not going to have the protection. You're going to have to get that ball out. Otherwise, you're going to get sacked. Or you're going to have to deal with the defender. You're going to have to make miss like he did a thousand times in that game. And so he put the ball up in a spot he thought and hoped that Gabe Davis would recognize that and look up and see it. Clearly he didn't. You know, clearly he kept the route on and, and he didn't you know, have any extra awareness as to what exactly the Eagles were doing in that spot. So they get a field goal and the rest you know, is, is, is history. Because once you gave the Eagles the ball back, the way Jalen Hurts can play in those moments and how clutch he is and poised he is, you just felt like eventually they were going to make a play that was going to win the game. And, and, they, and they did. And so, look, it's a credit to the Eagles, but I think for Bills fans, it's the realization that this season will maybe or probably not end up going to the postseason. And unfortunately, until this team is 100% healthy, it's going to be hard for them to be able to consistently beat some of the best teams, even with your quarterback playing like Superman. Yeah. They've got the Chiefs and then the Cowboys when they come back, too. Like, there's a road here where they just, they're six and eight in a couple of weeks. Like, that's really tough. And I, I just, I don't think there's anybody really ahead of them that I couldn't see slip, like Pittsburgh. I know they got the 400 yards. We'll get into that, but that's good. I, I don't think that they're solid. The Browns, obviously, now down to their third stringer. Like, Denver is hot in front of them. Like, these, these are not juggernauts that they can't leap over, but it's just, it's getting harder and harder to see it. Um, yeah, I, I feel for them. And it's a couple mistakes and... Uh, 59-yard field goal that's among the most impressive I've ever seen given the conditions and the fact that the Bills had missed some. But, yeah, just it just that's the way that it feels. It feel, like this weekend, one of the themes for me was just like the losers find a way to lose. And this just seems to be a theme always with the Buffalo Bills is they just they find a way. The, the, the big one for me, though, is what did you think about them taking the knee in the fourth quarter with 20 seconds left in a timeout? Because I was shocked. Yeah, if with, they don't ice the, the kicker. Too, and Josh Allen... Like, I just think your downside of him getting a sack or a negative play, turning the football over, yeah. and Philly being able to win in regulation are so low when Josh Allen's your quarterback. And, and again, we've, like, we've seen this team be able to come back in and, and windows like this. And, and honestly, it, the quarterbacks for Philly had struggled, really for the most part of this season. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so why not take a shot? Well, why not at least see how the first play goes if you can't get a 15, 20-yard chunk and you can't find a way then of either getting out of bounds or calling that timeout and then taking a couple shots at the end zone or taking a couple shots at the sidelines to improve your field position. I, I think that was probably one of the things, too, that I, you saw this, this week, at least in the NFL and college football for that matter, mm-hmm. was just conservative play calling or, or decision-making by head coaches did not benefit them in any way. Yeah, I hated that call. I was shocked by it. And again, if they don't ice the kicker there, they have two timeouts in the 20 seconds. And I went, how would you, out of all the things that you're going to take away from losing to the Chiefs, it should be that they scored on you with less time than that on the clock. Like, that, that's how they ended up, do, like, that's how they beat you. I was going to bring that up, too, because they almost bailed out Philly and giving them a little extra time. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of felt like you, you didn't need to try to ice the kicker. Mm-hmm. It's already a tough enough kick in those conditions. Why not have two timeouts going into it? Yes, so what? you've got 20 seconds. That's still three plays. Mm-hmm. You know, really when you've got 20 seconds with one timeout, you can only assure yourself of two plays. Mm-hmm. You know, so at that point you're battling time and distance, but with the two timeouts, 
it gives you still that additional timeout to potentially have one of those heroic, crazy, miracle plays where baskets an opportunity to go win in regulation. So the, my last one on the Bills is this, though, is do you, do you see something materially different now through a couple of weeks with Joe Brady? Because the, the offense does look better. And, and I can't tell if this was just him putting the cape on or if this is something that, yeah, they're scheming up that, that you like more from the Bills right now. Because if I'm a fan, I want at least that optimism of, hey, if this offense continues to play this way, then we should be able to beat the Chiefs. We should be able to beat the Cowboys. Like, we're, we're absolutely not out of this. There's a few things that you saw when they were in 12 personnel, and I thought Joe Brady did a good job of kind of stacking plays or building plays. And the simplest way of describing it is playing, you know, chess, not checkers. You know, whereas you want to show defenses the same personnel grouping, the same formation, and do a variety of things out of it. And there are a couple of different screens that they got to that were kind of unique in nature. One ended up being the digs on the outside on the left-hand side. Another one ended up going to the tight end. In uh, and, and uh, that instance, too, almost out of the same exact motion and personnel and formation, at least final formation. And it's those sorts of things that you see from Joe Brady. You go, yeah, that's, that's what's going to help you keep defenses you know, on their heels and not allow them to really get a beat on what you're doing. It, it felt like, I mean, two weeks ago, I didn't feel like they got Stephon Diggs involved enough. This Not only did they get Diggs more involved, but also Gabe Davis. And you start to see that. So, you know, it, it's hard in the NFL to really, like, pick on one particular thing because the best play callers are a game plan specific and they're going to try to mm-hmm. you know find the matchups and, and find the, the weaknesses in the scheme week by week so uh, you know i think over the next couple of weeks especially with who they're going to be end up playing or a couple of games i should i should say you're going to get a better sense for what this offense looks like with joe brady but clearly i would say there's elements that he's setting up to then take shots or to take to to set up other plays within what they're doing from a game plan standpoint that feels different than what they had previously. The only weird one with the dig stuff is that he kept coming off the field on some big third down plays. I was like, I didn't really understand what the strategy was there. <laughs> they were throwing plays. I, I don't even know too, if that's like their decision. I wonder sometimes if it's somewhat his decision in all of that, whether he needs to break a breather or maybe they're bringing him off because there's the potential of going for it on fourth down. Yeah, that was one too. That was kind of a head scratch where you're looking at the screen, going, "Where the hell's Diggs?" Yeah, and he's not out there. Like, okay, that's going to be kind of interesting to see how this works out. So, that that's one of those things that I don't know if that was more his decision or game plan specific with what they were thinking, maybe going forward on fourth down, depending on where they got. Yeah. All I know is if he's coming up for a breather that I'm like, dude, do that. The next play, <laughs> just give me, get, uh, we'll give you the breather. The if we get the first like, down. Whenever you drop off like a, a great edge rusher and yeah. you're dropping him back in coverage, I'm like, thank you. Yeah. Go mm-hmm. give him a break and rushing and let him drop into coverage. Like, that's going to help your defense. Like you're yeah. only helping out the defense by taking a mismatch nightmare off the field. So you and I, and the last one on this game, you and I had talked a couple of times this year about how the Eagles feel a little off and yet they just, they always find ways to win games. And so I, I still feel torn after this one where they got outplayed. I, I know this much about the Eagles. You leave uh, uh, the, the door, just a little crack, a little crack in the door they are going to find a way. They do make winning plays. I love the the attitude that Hurts had right after they won the game of just like walking off and he does the whole, what do you want me to say? But it was just kind of, I had up and down feelings about this team where I went, are they the you know, are they the best team in football? Are they the team I trust the most because they find ways to win? Or do I feel like this is going to catch up with them? Like, what's your Eagles thought after this one? It's, it's kind of the same. It's like they no one's really been able to take advantage of their weaknesses and force them in a position where they made plays to lose the game, right? Like Jake mm-hmm. Elliott put in a spot, steps up, hits the kick. 
Um, DeAndre Swift might be the most underrated addition to a team this year when I feel like he makes big run or big play for them and probably flies under the radar in regards to the importance of having that in the backfield. Like, and not to get off on a tangent, but like we, we started off talking about Frank Reich and the additions they made. They, they spent money to bring in Miles Sanders. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, if you're David Tepper, who just fired Frank Reich, and how are you not looking at Scott Fitterer, A, for the decision on Bryce Young, if you feel like Stroud was, was the better pick, B, for not, like, talking to the Detroit Lions and saying, hey, you took Jameer Gibbs, like, what's the trade value for DeAndre Swift? Because we could use him on our roster. Now, Graham, maybe you had to make that decision a little bit earlier, but – there's all sorts of things you like. You look on this mm-hmm. Eagles team, and they're just stacked. And so they they just it feels like they're almost like they're the Patriots, where they don't make that play to lose games. And I, yeah. I you remember that long run that the Patriots always had with Tom Brady and Belichick in the AFC East. It was always like everyone kind of folded and made mistakes around them. And in this case, um, it, it's 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 like those little things, and it wasn't like a glaring mistake, but. Blitz zero, Gabe Davis, Josh Allen not be on the same page, and there lies an opportunity for the Eagles, and they just make enough plays in the end to go win it. So I, I don't know. I'm kind of like you, whereas, you know, they get in these situations, whether it's short yardage, you know they're going to convert, mm-hmm. the, you know, the brotherly shove, if you will. When they need a, you know, a play in the backfield, it's going to be Hurts or Swift. When they need a big play yeah. downfield, A.J. Brown's been phenomenal this year. It's not him, it's Devontae Smith or whoever's going to step up. I mean, it's just they find ways of constantly making enough plays to win ball games and, and not losing ball games. Yeah, they're five and zero when trailing at the half this year. Um, no other team is even five hundred. So yeah, they're just they're they're clearly built differently that way. They are still calm in those situations. Uh, I di- I just I couldn't help but think about the parallel universe talk that we're having if they miss that kick and people going, oh, you know, the Eagles team they've been kind of showing these signs all year long and they lost finally. And I'm going, all right, yeah, they they papered it over. But again, some teams find ways to win. And you know, speaking about Patriots in that division. How about the stones on Alex Smith this week? It's kind of interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who felt like, of course. you know, no, he said what we all say. That's we've all said that a million times. It's the fun thing to say and trounce on the Patriots. I just went, wow, this it, is quite a way to do it. It, it is. I mean, but at the same time, like some of the dysfunction of that division mm-hmm. was a byproduct of the fact that, you yeah. went against New England twice a year. Yeah. And, and you're staring at that every single year saying, how are we going to beat the Patriots? How are we going to bring Tom Brady? Yeah. And you're building up teams and rosters to beat the Patriots. Like, that's the, the number one thing any organization is selling an owner is, how can you win your division? And then how do you go win your conference and then win a Super Bowl? And if that's what the Dolphins and Jets and Bills were trying to do, unfortunately, that was mm-hmm. what you were up against. And, you know, it's just – it's interesting. I mean, like, I was was drafted into the AFC North. I have the utmost respect for it because it's such a unique division in how you play and the stadiums all being outside and the physical nature of play mm-hmm. in order to win. And it's like defensive, you know, minded in nature and physical. And and you know, would have would have Tom Brady, you know, been as successful playing in the AFC North? I don't know, but his record was pretty damn good against pretty much everyone else. I mean, that's, that's the, the reality thing. of it. Is yeah, you can make those comments. But then you actually look back through history, and it didn't matter who he was playing against. Mm-hmm. He was still still super successful versus everyone. So I, I kind of sit there and say, yeah, I know a lot of people have said that. I don't know if there's a whole lot of validity to it based on his history versus every other division and conference for that matter. Yeah, no, I, 
I think it's a really tough one to do. And this, it actually reminds me a little of we as Canadians always wanted Larry Walker to go in the Hall of Fame for baseball, right? And people went, well, is he a Coors creation? And the thing that you would always point to is his, his numbers on the road were actually better than his numbers at Coors. And that was the big argument right. is, look, you can use the comparison. And the Patriots record outside of their division was actually better during Brady's tenure than it was within. But still, it was fun. I did enjoy it. And I love how Patriots fans... This is one of my favorite things about dunking on Patriots fans. They're never just cool about it. They're like, yeah, whatever. They're always just like, well, actually, they get mad. So that's that's the best. That's the best. That shows you the uh, that shows you their true colors. Uh, anyway, the theme of the weekend was winning teams find ways to win. Similarly to the Eagles, it's like AFC Eagles to me is the Ravens, where uh, I keep thinking, oh, you're gonna blow this. Something's gonna happen to you. But then they pull it out and they find a way to win. And uh, it really, you could really feel them missing Mark Andrews in this game, but did they establish themselves as just like the clear cut favorite in the AFC to you this weekend? I know that the Chiefs had the bit of a bounce back, but man, they didn't look exactly great out of the gate. Yeah, how, how'd you feel about the Ravens coming off that win against, again, a team that always finds a way to lose in the Chargers? Yeah, I think this version of the Ravens, let's call them like the Baltimore Ravens 2.0 with Todd Muckin calling the plays, mm-hmm. is it, just the scarier version of the Ravens, and especially the defense can play away did this past week. Uh, obviously, you know, Herbert and the Chargers can put up points, put up yards, and have production. It's been the defense that's largely failed them this year, yet this is an instance where I, I thought Baltimore's defense really answered their call after looking a little bit more, I would say, pedestrian, even though they've been one of the top defenses in the league this year, at least not the past couple of weeks. What, what's interesting, and you can look up these schedules if you want while I say this, Baltimore's currently the top seed. Obviously, they're going to be competing with Kansas City, Jacksonville's the one that with the easiest pass, pass, I think, moving forward, yeah. who's tied with them in record two. And that's the one that's probably the most interesting as to like what the playoff picture looks like. Not that Jacksonville's a tough place to necessarily go play, but it's only it's one less game and mm-hmm. home field advantage throughout. I, I think if Baltimore gets the number one seed, to me, like that's the team to go through. And I and I know Kansas City is obviously dominated and all they know is going to AFC championship games. But Playing in Baltimore, having to buy, having to deal with like the ability not only for Lamar to do what he can do running the football and Baltimore running the football, but also what the passing game has become. And, and they, there's no doubt they miss Mark Andrews, they miss that piece. I do think likely will will start to form into that piece. But the way OBJ is playing right now, the different ways you can use Jay Flowers to create plays, and then just other pieces how they can step up, whether it's Bayman or whoever else at times. I, I think they've got enough firepower with the way their defense is playing to do it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of football left to be played. They've got a tough schedule the rest of the way, at least in comparison to, to Jacksonville. And that's why I'm, I'm really curious to see how the, the last, you know, five or six games go for some of these teams as, as you're looking at, you know, where they sit currently and, and looking at the difference in playing. I mean, Arrowhead's obviously a tough place to play if Kansas mm-hmm. City gets number one seed, but if Baltimore gets them, I'm telling you, that place is miserable to go play for opponents. Yeah, I uh, know. I think that's a really good point about just how with all the parity this year, having that one less game feels massive for a team like the Jaguars. And I, I will say this. I, I, I brought it up with you multiple times. Like, hey, what's up? When are we going to see Trevor Lawrence look good? When are we going to see him look elite? When are we going to see Trevor Lawrence? Blah, 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 blah. And you always remain calm. And I've been impatient with Trevor Lawrence. That was a mature win for them. And that was, I think, the best game I've seen him play. Yeah. He, the knee is starting to get healthy. You know, that's what I think has been underscored this entire time is he's been dealing with the injury. Mm-hmm. It's impacted his mobility. I think it's impacted his comfort in the pocket and everything else. 
we tend to forget he's a damn good athlete. Like he's much better than anyone gives him credit as a runner. And I think extending plays too at times. And I just have not seen him feel comfortable at all this year in that capacity. This is one of the first times where I kind of felt that way about them. Like, Hey, if he gets closer to hundred percent by the end of the season, like th- again, this could be a team to look out for if they continue to get turnovers. If Josh Allen plays like a man with his hair, you know, hair on fire, and if they can get more out of their receivers to make some big time plays, mm. in particular Ridley, who that was all the hype, but I don't know how has lived up to it this year, uh, at least at the wide receiver position. I, I, I still came away though more impressed with CJ Stroud. Yeah, I know. As far as like, uh, look, put him up there next to Lamar, Patrick Mahomes, Dak, whoever you want for MVP. I think he's right there in the Hurts. I think he's right there. Like, I really do think right now he might be playing the best football of any quarterback in the league. He's awesome. And that play, what was it? They got hit with an illegal shift early on in the game where yes. it's like a third yes. and 20. <laughs> he just throws this bomb down the field. That's right on the money. And I went, oh, my God. Ah, uh, he's brilliant. I and I, I like this is the ultimate test of a quarterback, and this is what I used to say about Russ, and maybe that I'll say about Russ moving forward now too. Is man, when the game, when your team is behind in a game, how do I feel? Like, do you have one of the quarterbacks where you go, "Wow, you left too much time," and that was the way I felt about Stroud in that game. Didn't work yeah, out, no, I, but I, I like felt that way. The ball, yeah. When, when he gets the ball, it feels like hurts. It feels like whoever you want to throw in that conversation yeah. right now, like, oh, they're going to go in and score. Like to do that as a hundred percent with where this team was a year ago and where I mean it's 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 incredible it really is I mean look Tank Dell's been phenomenal too he deserves more credit mm-hmm. but C.J. Stroud and, and it's weird because at Ohio State he, he obviously the Georgia game everyone goes back to him and says well there it was there was his best game mm-hmm. he ended on but throughout his two years there he never showed the type of mobility he's showing now and now when you cu- couple his accuracy. His ability as far as a decision maker and all that, especially down the field, mm-hmm. with the athleticism he's showing, he's lights out. Like he's literally in his rookie year competing for the MVP. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's odd because you didn't see that until the very last time, the very last college game he played at Ohio State. Yeah. Again, I don't know how a Panthers fan sleeps at night. Like I just don't, I don't know how you do it. I empathize with you. I, I, I can't sleep thinking about you guys. So whoever you are, all of you that exist. Um, Speaking of the Broncos, are they good? Do you think the Broncos are good? Because I, I think that, okay, they've got like 15 turnovers, plus 15 turnovers, or 15 turnovers at least in the last four games. So I get the doubters. Yeah. But they, they kind of look like a some of those old Seahawks teams where if you get them in a tight game with a weird score, they're going to just make that one extra play. There's Well, and Russell's kind of going, converting back to himself. It, it, yeah. The formula they had there. Like, it's crazy, but their defense has stepped up in a major way, mm-hmm. not only creating pressure, but, but making plays. I mean, Kareem Jackson's out, no problem. Locke steps up, and he, he becomes a playmaker in that defense. Javante Williams might be the most physical runner right now in the NFL. Like, mm-hmm. he's a pleasure to watch, but it reminds you of those Seattle teams. Like, the defense, the way they're playing, getting after it, the way they're running the football, and then Russ making clutch plays when he needs to, at times scrambling around, but... Uh, I, I just I think they're on a roll right now, and everyone's believing. Like this team is so far removed from where they were a year ago. Where if it came down to the end of the game, like they were just going to make the mistake. Now they're making the play, and so there's no doubt they're legit. They're for real. Credit not only Sean Payton but Vance Joseph. I mean that defense gave up 70 points at one point this season. Yeah, like it's hard to forget that. But they're playing so well the last five games it actually makes you kind of forget about it. Like, this is not the same team. 
they've completely flipped the switch and it's a credit to, to I think Sean Payton, the way he kind of managed the roster and moved on from some older veteran pieces to some younger guys who are you know healthy and, uh, and hungry and stepping up and making plays. So you look, dare I say they're going to be a playoff team the way they're playing right now, but it's a huge credit to Sean Payton for as much as he talked and said in the off season, Right now, this is the Broncos team that I think we envisioned them being. It just took a little while, and now they're here. Yeah. Uh, this was just such a weird weekend because uh, my biggest takeaways were like, I don't know anything more about these teams. <laughs> I, I just, like, all right, I guess the Broncos are good. But it was also a game where if they don't have this weird end-around play, right? Quarterback and yeah. They play a backup quarterback. There was no Denzel Ward for, That's it. for Cleveland, which changes the dynamics of that defense. And Miles Garrett gets hurt. You, know, so you can make your excuses. Sure. I'll say this much, though. <laughs> The one, cons- the one thing I think we can both agree on our biggest takeaway was the officiating is, like, broken to a degree so to me. bad. Like, I don't care if it's last night's game and what should have been a, a rough in the past or a late hit on Justin Dude, Herbert. Dude, the Texans or game. He- the Texans game had, a, had plenty of them. That and was even, one and of like, the worst even games I've seen. Even when you're looking at the hit of Baron Browning on oh. GTR, which was a completely legal hit. Totally legal. I mean, it, it's the whole thing is becoming a bit bizarre in the manner in which the NFL is trying to, to get a lot of these, especially the first year of in the NFL to call games or how they're going about doing it. And it, it's broken, but they don't care enough about it to fix it if they wanted to, because there's mechanisms they could put in place and an extra fish on all this, but they just do not care enough about the product or at least the impact of the officials on the product yeah. to make that fix. I'm always, I side with man over machine, which could be a mistake based on some of the reports coming out of Reuters recently is like, I should be on Team Machine, like, big time. i got to buy into the program. But the NFL is actually at a point right now where it just it feels like, and the reason why I hated the Jags game the most is because sometimes it just feels like when officials are doing a bad job, they almost want to, like, double down, and it becomes a game where you feel like it's them versus the crowd, and I hate that. And they'll just be like, yep, no, we don't care how many of these phantom calls we're going to call against Houston. We see it as this is the way we're calling the game. And I just go nuts. And I'm at the point now with the NFL, with all the money that's on the line, with how bad a job they're doing, like, just bring in the eye in the sky. I I don't care. Let them call the holds. Let them make those plays. I don't know. And then just review everything, essentially. I I just, I'm at a loss. It it sucks. I hate it, but I'm, I'm with you. This weekend was awful. I had the same thought where I went, man, there's just... There's too much at stake with money and with gambling and fantasy and the way the NFL sells itself. And the, by the way, though, the flag football conspiracy just continues with you and I where there's some hits and there's some plays in this thing where I'm like, they're just preparing you. Like the fine that they levied to Amon St. Brown. For, I was like, and, and, and by the way, coming. this like circles back to the conversation that Tom Brady made yeah. talking about protection of players and yep. rules. And, and I would just argue this, like go back to the play, for example, with DTR, he scrambled around for like 10 seconds. I mean, yeah. Look, I'm all for trying to make a play, but sure. you had a guy across the field in Russell Wilson who's lived his entire career with for, for almost 99% of the time buying time, making throws or throwing the football away and remaining unscathed, not taking hits like that. Mm-hmm. Like all these young quarterbacks who are coming into the league are not taught to throw you the football. When they do, oftentimes it's too late or they're taking an unnecessary hit because they don't know how to play from the pocket. And, and I, I know I sound like an old head in saying that, but yeah. – it's it's awful to see because they're taking hits that they don't have to. And it's it's unfortunately where the direction of the NFL is going, and that's why it leads to this thought of like, well, how do you eliminate those hits? 
you just make a flag football. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's the direction that they're going. Yeah, I hate it. I really, really hate it. Uh, I didn't hate this, though. Great stuff today, buddy. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. It's always fun. See you, pal. Brady Quinn, our Monday morning insider and former NFL QB. By the way, as a Saints fan, sign uh, uh, You have to, because uh, Russell Wilson drives me nuts. We share this, at least, as like watching the Broncos have some success is pain to both of us. Yeah. Um, Wilson came out and said that he wants to go into the hall of fame as a Bronco. And I'm just so broken <laughs> that I, and someone tagged me in the tweet. I didn't even see it. Someone tweeted at me and I saw it. I did I, be strong. I, he's just, to me, it was like a little sad because Wilson so badly wants to be embraced by the Broncos fans, but now he's playing well enough where I'm looking at it and going, yeah, maybe this is going to be a thing. And he's going to bring Broncos country. Let's yeah, ride I just, back. I just don't want to see, I, I really it would piss me off to see him go into the hall as a Bronco, sure. especially if he won a Super Bowl with the team and yeah, it doesn't win one with the Broncos, but yeah. you guys have a pick on the line that keeps getting better. And everyone was clowning Sean Payton because he made the comments about Hackett and he went, this guy's a loser. Yeah. And everyone went, Oh, excuse me. <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers said, keep your, my offensive coordinator's name, name out of your, your mouth. mouth. Yeah. And then now Aaron Rodgers probably brought in the worst offensive mind in the history of the NFL. Like, I don't know where. And Nate a couple Hackett. receivers yeah. who can't play. And Worst GM. <laughs> He's worse than GM LeBron. Way worse. <laughs> uh, but you have to watch Derek Carr. Oh, my God. You're tied still in the division, I guess, at the top. You might yeah. have a play. You're scrapping. for That was a meaningful game. It I was a super talk- meaningful game. It's crazy. I, that it I didn't even game. talk about it with Brady because th- you guys are the who cares about oh you. Oh, my. No one. I can't think of anything. I, there's, there's two teams that I'm sorry or two things that no one can possibly care about. One is the Colts. It's like, yeah, the Colts are right there. No one cares. I'm sorry. Nobody cares, Colts fans. Nobody will. And you're completely irrelevant. Your coach, awesome. You got a real coach. Yeah. You come back next year, you should be stoked that your team is playing this way and that you'll get Anthony Richardson get back. back. There's a lot of future potential sure. for you guys. But this year, nobody wants you in the playoffs and nobody wants to really hear about you. And yeah, that win, they were like, do you know Colter in playoffs? I went, no, I had no idea. <laughs> and your guys' was, hey, actually, Atlanta with this win is now tied for the division uh, lead. And I went, I don't know. I don't whoever care. wins that division yeah. just gets to get no. both raced at home in a playoff game against yeah. whoever they play. I think Derek Carr is the most depressing quarterback Dude, that it's, a team can it's have. it's so bad. Yeah. It's so bad. I showed you a stat before the show. <laughs> I, th- I, th- I don't have it up, but I think this was it. it I was told the, you. They scored three touchdowns yeah. in their last 32 drives, and those three touchdowns are two Jameis yeah. Winston touchdown throws when Derek Carr was hurt and one Taysom Hill touchdown throw when Derek Carr was on the yeah. sideline. Oh, it's yeah. so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, I think my Browns are cooked too, by the way. They got to go to the Rams. Then they've got the Jags. Bears should win. And then Texans, though. You know Just it's, the, the schedule's going to heat up. They close with Jets and, and Bengals, which should be two wins. So maybe, maybe. This schedule talk was interesting with Brady, too, because I, and I'm looking at the oh, standings fully right in now, schedule but mode. Hey, it's crazy after that the Jags might have the, like, imagine the Jags came away yeah. with the top. Uh, seed in the got a good shot at cr- it. I know they got a really, nuts. really, really good shot at it. Thought, yeah. And in a weird way, I it's like okay, if you're into the parody thing, then them getting that one seed is the is the best thing. The best thing for dynasties or the interest in the league is for the Chiefs to get it. Yeah. And then the Ravens are the most, in my opinion, deserving of all the teams. Even though this one was again a, a weird week where I really thought that they were going to blow it. And the no, the, the no Andrews thing truly, truly scares me. But 
Yeah, the the Jags have one game on their schedule where they won't be favorites left, and that's against the Ravens. So that'll be for all the marbles. Mm. That's going to be a Sunday night game in three weeks. But yeah, they got Bengals, Browns, Bucks, Panthers, Titans. So basically... A lot of winnable it, games. Yeah, it, like if they win that Ravens game, it's a wrap. It's over. They're going to end up with that one seed. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since like this week, they lose to Houston... And the division is up for grabs. We're going, oh, damn, stretch run between these two teams. Who's going to end up with the, yeah, the AFC South? Congrats to my boy, Blake Murphy, though, because he's been eating it. I sent him a lot of those Trevor Lawrence texts of, I don't know, it doesn't look special to me. I, I am a bad, the worst parts of me come out as a football fan. <laughs> Just texting your buddies because painful football, things. Do you football. have any Chargers fans, buddies? Are you just texting them about Quentin Johnson? No, I wish I could, though. Uh, what's funny that used to work on the row? Who's a sweetheart? Kevin Mickey? No, who's a big Chargers fan. Kurt? Uh, Kurt. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to try to give him the odd one. Yeah. He's too nice. He's too nice. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm mean as a football fan. I grew up. I grew up. I In university, my roommates were all huge football fans, and Sunday was just a war zone. Like, true, you had to be ready. Yeah. You woke up in the morning. Just <laughs> <laughs> sit down. Talk yourself in the mirror. Yeah, fight for a you spot. Got yeah, you fight, got this. fight for a spot on the TVs because we always had two for NFL Sunday. But yeah, it was it was intense. It was a lot of hate. But I, I think it's because with football, I get to be way more of a fan with the others than with the other sports. Yeah, like yeah. I get to enjoy my Sunday. I know I come on here and I try to give some balanced analysis, but with my friends, it's not the same anymore with Leafs and Habs and maybe that one, maybe Leafs and Sens a little bit. It's not like, who am I chirping about with Raptors? Like, I don't know, Celtics fans, right? (laughs) Everybody's, that's the thing. When you're a Canadian, you're on the same page with everybody else. There's no chirping. If I know a Yankees fan, I guess I would. But football is like, everybody else is on a different team. Plus, it's like once a week, so you get the whole week to stew about it. So I can hit you up on a Wednesday and be like, hey, remember that that Thanksgiving loss? You know what I mean? And that's it. And I love how a football game can just ruin your week. Whole week. Whole week. I'm thinking about Derek Carr all week now. My entire week, I'm thinking about Derek Carr. You know how depressing that is? No, I had a really good gambling Sunday, even though the Cowards Parlay lost, which again, it's just, it's, it doesn't matter. I see all my winnings from the weekend. I was on so much stuff. I was like on the Steelers. I was on the Rams. Eagles were huge for me with yeah. that comeback. Ravens, everything. I was covered. And then lose Cowards, it doesn't feel that way. But if not for the gambling weekend and my ability just to immerse myself in that, I was miserable about the Seahawks for like two straight days. Of course you were. It's like the whole offseason for the Seahawks was about getting better to beat the Niners and they're somehow worse and the defense stinks <laughs> and the coach is still an idiot and their quarterback is awful. They oh, drafted a wide receiver in the first round that like I noticed twice a game. And but he's not the worst first round receiver. Yeah, he's not. You yeah, can Quentin always, Johnson. You can Boy. always take that. When they threw that graphic up of like, hey, Zay Jones and Jordan Addison were taken after Quentin Johnson. I was like, excuse me? I was, this, I was not aware. Why was this not? Why is this not discussed more? Because those two guys are way better than Quentin Johnson is one of the worst receivers. Like I, I have not seen him do any single thing. Here's, I don't like it when people say, "Hey, he's a bust in year one." I go, "Okay, you got to give it time." But sometimes you know, and this is a bona fide, unquestionable. <laughs> I know this guy will never be in anybody in the NFL. Facts. But let, let it come back to haunt me. Anyways, quick break. Let's hit what we missed. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I, I see in the doc daylight savings update. Yes. You ready? So, yeah. So we were talking daylight savings off the yes, top of the <laughs> Oh, yeah, I guess that was yeah. you saying that you were ready. Anyway. I, no. 
<laughs> moving on. Next. I uh, I had said that I thought Ontario was like moving away from it. Armin texted uh-huh. me with a clip from my article that said that they did pass legislation, but the legislation passed in Ontario included a very important caveat. Both Quebec and New York State had to make the move at the same time. So we're not getting off daylight savings time Bye. until New York State and Quebec also do. I Let's tell. all get in this together. No, I'll tell you this right now. They made it so that Quebec has to agree with Ontario I know. on the policy of how they're, don't tell us how to live. For the good, <laughs> That's 100% for the good go. of everyone. No. Come on. No, they're going to want something. Surely the three powers that are no. New York State, Quebec, gonna, and Ontario no. can get together. <laughs> Give us Muskoka. <laughs> hey, I'd do it. I'd do it. Would See do you later, it, cottage I? country. Yeah, that's it. That's what they'll do. I don't think they'll do it. Oh, man. The, the, Quebec's going to be the last place on earth. <laughs> the whole rest of the world. Please. Please, Quebec. Mm, no. No. <laughs> no. I don't think so. Yeah. No <laughs> shot. All right. What we missed? Uh, Marcus Smart was caught during a tur- timeout yelling at his teammates. Uh, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Clearly, the Grizzlies him. are. Uh, they are bad. I mean, John Morant's back, what, mid-December? But it's mm-hmm. pretty gross there. Got me thinking, though. What's the most embarrassing moment of your sports playing career? Most embarrassing moment of my sports playing career? Um, oh, I have a couple. Like I was like, <laughs> hmm. I remember once, so when I was in grade 11, I first moved to Ontario, and it was, OAC had just ended, and so there was like tons of just old dudes on the team. Yeah, victory lap guys. Yeah. yeah. And I was the only, it was me and one other guy that made the team that were in grade 11. And I did two, I had multiple embarrassing moments on this team. (laughs) One was I was clearly one of the best guys at the tryout. And I went by the coach's office for cuts and was like, hey, just want to say if I don't make the team, like, thanks for your time. I had an awesome tryout. Nice. I I think I had the best tryout out of anybody. And I was new. It was just, so I was like, yeah, just to let you know if I don't make the team. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Just a (laughs) cocky dick move. Not impressive. So I, I, I know, I know. It was so, I <laughs> just thinking about it hurts me. But there were older guys on the team. There was a lot of dudes that were grade 13 that were ahead of me. And I wasn't used to not, I'd never not started before on mm-hmm. a basketball team. And this was the first time that I was coming off the bench. And we went to this tournament, uh, I think, yeah, in Kingston. It was at Queens University. We went to this tournament. Uh, and we... <laughs> played this team and, and I just like, I barely got minutes and I was pissed. And I didn't know that at the time that this coach was like very much, I'm playing the old dogs right out of the gate, but I just expected to play. I had yeah. this tryout. I was thinking, Hey, I'm going to be the flashy new toy. And I, I didn't get a lot of minutes in the first game of this tournament or whatever. And I was pretty pissed off. And instead of just sitting there going like, Hey, just wait and be a normal human being. I decided to like approach the coaching staff oh immediately <laughs> and essentially ask, tell them I needed more minutes. So I call my shot and I'm like, hey, you know, this I should have played more in this game. Again, just lunatic behavior. <laughs> I would have killed young me. Young me, I, I, I there's so many horrible things. Wow. But yeah, I basically said, hey, I got to get in more. I got to have more minutes. This is not right. I'm trying to coach the team. I You'll find this shocking. Coaches didn't love me. Yeah, no uh, <laughs> and so the very next game, I get in and I'm like, all right, time to shine. First two plays of the game. Horrific turnovers, both that resulted in transition dunks. Yeah, nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I just remember looking at the bench. Whoops. (laughs) Should have just shut up. Another one was uh, when I was younger, uh, I was at a hockey tournament once where I was screwing around in a a tournament. 
and it was to go to a gold medal game and somebody flipped the puck in from, and like, I still remember it was my friend, Dave. He flipped the puck in from like beyond the blue line, like outside the blue line. And he just like air mailed it up. And instead of just being normal, I decided to like skate out at it and tried to catch it. (laughs) It was at the very end of the game. And it hit the top of my glove and literally rolled into the back of the net. And I think I was 12 or 13. I was 12 or 13. And I'll never forget the best player team was crying. (laughs) And it was all my fault. He was sitting there in his equipment crying. That guy went to hockey school the very next year down in uh, somewhere in BC. And he was just sitting there weeping. As we lost this gold medal game in a tournament, <laughs> it was all my fault. That's a I tough one. Went out and tried to play the puck like a total moron, and I, I remember too, like it went in and it was just like goal horn I, or like red light, yeah. everything. Just me being like, "Holy crap! There's no way that this just happened, right?" <laughs> that, you know, when you think something has to be a dream, yeah, yeah, that's the feeling I had yeah. was. This has to be a dream. Yeah. There's no way this just happened. <laughs> oh, it totally happened. So yeah, many embarrassing things. My I, my most embarrassing thing also happened at the Queen's Gym. I'm from Kingston. Oh, yeah, right. It was city finals, grade 10. It was like, so like, you know, the bleachers are full, half from my high school, half from the other high school. Mm-hmm. I'm on a, I'm on a, get a, like a breakaway bucket where I get fouled and miss and I like fall under and they had this huge banner. Oh, falling and I got is up bad. and I like slapped the banner and like turned to their crowd and was doing the whole like Ooh, why? WWE heel no, turn thing. No. Went to the line and I have never bricked two free throws worse than yeah. that after yelling at an entire <laughs> student section. Those and the then I just had to like every time back down court, it was just, I was, I set myself up to just get like yelled at for <sighs> the remaining so you half just gave of me another one, which is different, but for, because of falling down. Yeah. So when I was, I can't remember how old I was, but I tried skiing again instead of snowboarding and I fell under the chairlift but I fell in a way where like I couldn't get up because the skis <laughs> yeah. and I wasn't used to skiing. And I was just sitting under the chairlift as all the cool older teens were like, you loser, <laughs> but way worse language. Yeah. <laughs> and me just panicking, trying to like yeah. trying roll. anything yeah. to get up. Yeah. To get out of That's this stuff. Falling under the chairlift is the worst experience I think that you can have That's as, a rough a, one. as a kid who is not 15 and under falling under a chairlift is worse than death. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I would. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Sub yeah. fifteen. Oh, <laughs> nightmare. Anyway, uh, how much time? Yeah, we got to go. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. Tweet, DM, reach out Twitter and Instagram anytime at JD Bunkus. Uh, shoot me a follow, and I will see you guys tomorrow. Mm-hmm.